I'm here with my director, Seth Barish. We made a show called The Old Man in the Pool, and it was our fifth uh, solo show collaboration that he directed and dramaturged and, and I wrote and performed. And we're announcing today that we're going to London, to the West End. Yeah. That's... That's not enthusiastic no, that enough. Was, no, that was good, though. Okay. Well, you and I have one... That, that actually makes me think of well, one of the things we have in common is just we're both low energy. We're both... How would you describe it? Well, I would describe it if you hear good news that the first thing that comes up for me, I don't know if this is that way for you, is like... Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's so funny. That's so funny because every correspondence you and I have had about the London announcement yeah. has been, hey, Seth, just so you know, these dates, try to keep them clear. We might go to London, but also it's always yeah. a coin toss. Yeah. I think there's so much in our business that like, it's just like a house of cards and anytime something can go, you know, screw Yeah. Especially the show House of Cards. <laughs> that's the screwiest. Well, that's the most, that yeah. It really did go. And it actually <laughs> did prove to be a House of Cards. A house of Cards. <laughs> so it's the most authentic. You yeah. heard it here. <laughs> a snarky commentary about show business. Um, no, um, so we're going, to, we're going to London, which is, I've multiple people, including Alex Edelman, who, who has a great solo show going, going to Broadway, uh, this summer, uh, and and other friends have said to me when I've told them um, that we're bringing the show to the West End for four weeks, <laughs> have said, "I think it'll think people will like it there more than they like it here," <laughs> <laughs> which is which is sort of backhanded, but it's I think it's a compliment to the British audiences. <laughs> no, wait, what's the theory behind that? Is that they're smarter? I don't or... know if it's that they're smarter. They certainly sound smarter. <laughs> Um, <laughs> hmm, let's investigate. Um, their accent is famously smart sounding. That's um, right. I think the argument is this. I think that British audiences are more attuned to solo autobiographical plays oh, yeah. because of where we're going right before the West End, which is the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Right. So for years, and I've never been to Edinburgh Fringe. I've never been to Edinburgh. I've never been yeah, to Scotland. Me neither. For years, for for since I started doing this with Sleepwalk with me, with you like 15 years ago, 2008, people have said to me, oh my God, you're doing an Edinburgh show. And I'm going, oh yeah, I mean, I've heard that. I've heard that people, <laughs> that that's a popular form. A, um, but yeah, yeah uh, you know, certainly Daniel Kitson's shows and and uh, Alex Edelman's shows. And, and there's a woman named Liz Kingsman who, Actually, I want, I want to say, is the, the, was at the same theater that we're going to be at called oh, the, really? the Wyndham's yeah. Theater, and um, she had a show called One Woman Show, and it and and I th I'm pretty sure it was a big hit at Edinburgh. Moved to the West End. That's kind of the logical progression over there. So I think that there's a shorthand for it. Yeah, I think here they're like, what is this? Yes, what is this? <laughs> which is which is the thing that you and I have dealt with with all of our shows. I think in every uh, uh, you know in every set of interviews. Yeah. There's a point at which someone says, so what are you, what are you doing? What do you call this? <laughs> yeah, that's right. How do you just, how do you, I mean, what do you, how do you answer that? What these shows are? I when always, I say that, I say my sleepwalk with me and then my girlfriend's boyfriend and then thank God for jokes and then the new one. And then this one is the old man in the pool and other, yeah. and other solo shows that you've directed. 
the tricky part and all the rage with yeah. Moran and others. Well, in the case of you and my stuff, I always say it's really a hybrid between stand-up and storytelling. And the idea is to take the best of both and let them uh, make each other better so that the storytelling gets improved by just the you know, laugh quotient and, yeah. and all that goes along with that. And the, you know, the comedy gets deepened because it's in reference to something. That's kind yeah. of how I describe it to people. It's funny because like Ira Glass, who we've worked with both on some of these shows, as well as these two movies we worked on together, Sleepwalk With Me and Don't Think Twice, he always describes it as when you're telling a story, you, you give a little bit of plot and then how you feel about the plot and then a little bit more plot and a little how you feel about the plot. And, yeah. and, and, and he's always said like, that my secret weapon with these shows is that how I feel about it's funny. Yeah. And so it kind of uh, it greases the wheels of the story a bit. Totally. I would even take that a step further. I would say that, you know, one of the standard guideposts for storytelling is uh, this thing, show, don't tell, where instead of talking about what it means to a character, or in this case, you, because you're talking about your life and stuff, there are actually things that are happening that are communicating that. And I think that one of the things that's just inherent in your form of comedy is analogy. And so when you're using an analogy, people are getting how you feel about it, but you're never saying, I feel this, I feel that. You yeah. know, you're just talking about you know, pizza and, yeah. and you know, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, Stay, going to the doctor. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you a funny, you're saying an analogy, and I'll, I'll. People always ask me, "What does a director of a solo show do?" Yeah. That's like a classic thing, yeah, yeah. especially with ours, because our goal is sort of to have it not feel like yeah, we're visible, yeah, ideally, yeah, sort of, yeah. Like we're not pushing the audience and winking. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's very few winks, but like, it, there's a joke that made it into the show that. Um, is uh, basically about how I went to in the in the pool. I got, I went to my annual check and the doctor asked me to step on the scale, which for whatever reason is still the old fashioned abacus thing. Like you're not a thousand pounds, you're not zero pounds, you're not nine hundred and seventy pounds, you're not twenty one pounds, you're not six hundred and fifty pounds, you're not four hundred eleven pounds. I'm like, what time is it? He's like, it's not two o'clock, it's not six o'clock, it's not two fifteen, it's not four forty five. Great example of directing. I did I, I did that joke, came up with a joke, showed it to you. You go, bring it a little bit more into the reality of the scale. Yeah, yeah. And you did in in your huh. yeah. That's the, what? How was it like when you move those? Yeah. No. It's like yeah. how heavy it is. Yeah. <laughs> and it always and I know that seems minuscule of a of a note because that is it is a small note. It makes the laugh so much bigger. Yeah, because I think people it goes from them completely recognizing it and they're in to like, what is that? I'm kind of in, and it's a very different experience. Yeah. So I thought that a fun thing to do today because today we're announcing six shows in Edinburgh and in Scotland and thirty performances of the Old Man of the Pool at the Wyndham Theatre in when the West are these, End. When are these? Performances? These are August in yeah. Edinburgh, yeah. September in London. Yeah. And so I thought. I was gonna read and I thought we could sort of talk through your experiences with these approaches um, to writing a solo show and creating a solo show is, I wrote this for the New York Times many years ago when we took the new one, our last Broadway show to Broadway and it's called Six Tips for Getting Your Solo Play to Broadway. I recently wrote my fourth solo play, a comedy about how no one should ever have children and how after my wife and I had a child, I learned that I was right. 
Uh, the new one is going to Broadway, and the biggest question I'm asked since I announced the run is, how did that happen? Mm. I'm not sure, <laughs> but if I take a step back and try to answer the question, I'd say there was no single step. It was a series of steps over years, and on top of that, it's luck. It's your 10,000 hours of preparation, meeting 12 other people's 10,000 hours of preparation, meeting $3 million laundered through the Cayman Islands, meeting luck. <laughs> um, by the way, we should acknowledge, uh, not only our producers, our designers, yeah. the old man in the pool. I mean, it's an extraordinary team of people. I'm stepping away from the six tips for a second to say, that's actually one of the things I think people misunderstand about solo shows, is that it's not one person. Oh, yeah. And and in a sense, any any show. I think people are oriented towards, you know, all the press tends to be about what's actually on the stage and, and the performers and, and all this thing. And it's, you know, it's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's, there's you know, you think of a film, and my God, it's an army of people making it happen. And I think in theater, it's it's the same concept. It's a smaller army, but it's yeah. definitely a, a, whole bunch of, a whole bunch of people, you know, behind the scenes for sure. So six tips for getting your solo play to, to Broadway. Um, for me, it began with my first solo play, Sleepwalk With Me, 15 years ago. And if you want to try writing a solo play, I suggest that you, number one, write a journal. Document your life, the good stuff, the bad stuff, mostly the bad stuff. What's, what's wrong with you is more interesting than what's right. I've always felt like we go to solo theater, autobiographical solo theater, to be told secrets. When I was developing the new one, I was writing in my journal all of these secret feelings I had about being a new dad, feeling like everything I did was a mistake. And one day I wrote, my wife and daughter love each other so much, and I'm there too. <laughs> and in the margin, I wrote, this could be something. <laughs> I think I still have that around somewhere. I shared it with my wife, Jen, who's a poet, and she encouraged me to say it on stage. And that line ended up forming the foundation of the, of the whole play. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that's that's so much it. You know, it's, it's funny because a lot of writers work in different ways. Some of them free write where they just sit down and just kind of write whatever. Some people kind of think of outlines and story structures, then they write to that. But at some point, you're kind of having this dialogue with your subconscious and it's it's things are coming to mind. You're writing them down. I, I'm thinking of Marty Moran who wrote The Tricky Part and, you know, this whole story that chronicles this extended relationship that he had with a 34, I think the guy was 34 year old uh, guy when he was 12. It's, you know, completely, you know, not, not a good thing. And, uh, and he, he was free writing every day and, and he kept writing in the margin, say what happened when you're 12, say what happened when mm -hmm. you're 12. And it just, and, you know, at some point he was like, maybe I should write to that. And out came, you know, this incredible thing. Um, so, I mean, that, that's kind of an example where, you know, you write that line all of a sudden it's like, there it is, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. Like I, I will say that having written in my journal for almost 20 years and done all these autobiographical shows, it's the things that you write down that you're uncomfortable, even writing on paper oh, yeah. that end up being some of the best lines in the show. Oh, totally. I've said to Jen, uh, just so you know, if I die, burn the journals. <laughs> don't save the journals. I don't want to find out they're in some... That's a good title, by the way. Burn, oh, yeah, burn the journals. Burn the journals. That's very good. That is good. Put that up on the board. I have, you know, behind you, I have oh, these are titles? some title ideas for my next hour, which I'm working on right now. I'm traveling to uh, I'm doing 
This, well, this summer Bird I'm doing latte. No, that's just really? a joke. That's oh. just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a joke. About it. One of them is they're just jokes. One of them called is living is winning. One yes. one is sweating on the inside. Yes, well, that's good. Um, and uh, one's what's the rush? Um, then there's another one. There's another one I wrote down today, but I forgot what it was. Um, I, I'm always that's actually one of my process things is I'm always writing. Um, Perspective titles. I probably go through like 10, 20 titles. You know, you of all the people I work with, you're the one who pitches titles soonest in a process. Mm. You're just like, I'm thinking of calling it this. I'm like, oh, okay, what is it? <laughs> I don't even maybe. And then you know, I would say four out of five times you either end up calling it that or you end up calling it something that's clearly inspired by that. Yeah. It's it's well, it's funny, like I, I really believe in this idea of with movies yeah. that when you finish your movie script and your and or a play or whatever it is, and you're gonna you're gonna take it to try to get financing, trying to get made, you should actually think about it in terms of what's the 25 second pitch, yeah, and what does the trailer look like? Yeah. Because really, that's what's gonna get people to see it. Yeah, interesting. And um and so with the old man in the pool, I always I, this has been my pitch for four years. I say. I hit a point in my life where I started going to doctor's appointments that got increasingly worse and worse. And I started to see my own mortality. And I want what I wanted to do was bring people into the theater and have them laugh about it for about 90 minutes and arrive at a communal feeling where people feel affirmed on the way out. Yeah, that's right. Affirmed is the thing, isn't it? Um, I, I say that because I've seen so many people that tell these stories that are just tragic and awful, but there's nothing redemptive in it. And at the end, you're like, that was, oh, I feel so bad for that person. <laughs> it's definitely a choice. I mean, I over the years, like with movies and TV and plays, there's definitely like, there's a decision that the, the writer makes, which is like, do I, do I take them over the cliff? <laughs> or do I show them how to uh, start climb down from the cliff? Yeah, or even just even if you go over the cliff, is there something that still is redemptive? I mean, there's I can think of a couple of movies I've seen over the years that I can't find the redemptive thing. And in some cases, they're movies that I thought that movie is so well made and it's yeah. really moving. And I but I couldn't find myself recommending it to my friends. I was just like, I had an intense experience. Uh, that's you know. Yeah. So wait, I had one other thing about. Oh, <laughs> I had a cliff. I had a, I had a joke. Uh, I had a joke this morning, maybe for the next show, which is um, which is I feel like parenting is like hiking. It's like nobody's ever like great job hiking. They're just like <laughs> keep hiking. And, so, and sometimes you want to jump off a cliff, and you're like, wait, I'm the guide. <laughs> oh, it's, that's just so sadly true. That is, uh, <laughs> yeah. So number so number six two. six tips for making a solo play. Um, share it with your smartest friends. Yeah. Uh, my wife Jenny and I are each other's first readers. I share my work with Ira Glass, uh, my director Seth Barish, my brother Joe. The question I always ask is not whether they like it. That's useless. What I ask is when were you bored? When were you most excited? Yeah. I feel like I learned that from you. Well, sort of. Or some I mean, variation. Yeah, variation of it. I, I think that... Um, I'm always asking people if they were lost or confused, for sure. 
that is like, to me, it's like there's a direct relationship. If you're lost and confused, you're out. Yeah. You know, you're spending your time going, what is this exactly? And, and uh, so that's huge for me. And I also, I do like to hear from people things that when they were particularly engaged. Yeah. Um, I don't tend to ask people like when they were bored, although you, I, I know that that is something that you ask a lot. Um, well, it's a I, trick question. It's, it's a little bit of a trick question. I'm tricking them into telling me the truth. <laughs> It's true. Well. It's true. I'm tricking them. I'm prodding them to what they're expecting. What your friends are expecting you to say is, "Did you like it?" Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so the, the the off speed pitch is, uh, "When were you confused or bored?" Yeah. And then they're like, "Hmm, confused and bored." And then they let their guard down. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. You sock them in that gut. <laughs> <laughs> you take you their money. You suck them in the gut. Yeah, you oh, suck them in the gut. You take their money. You throw them in an alley, and That's, then you go, hey, "What do you really think of my I, plan?" I like that plan yeah, so much. It's so good. <laughs> I have number three: hire your wife. And then uh, I say, "Well, you might not be able to hire your wife, but I think it's wise if you're writing autobiographically to include the people closest to you in the process." One day, I asked. Jenny to brainstorm with me for a section I was writing about some of our daughter Una's first milestones. And she pulled out her poetry notebook and read me this. An infant reaches for something I don't know what, pushes it farther away and cries in frustration. Each time she reaches, not realizing she is crawling for the first time. Yeah. She's just like her father. And now I recite the poem in the play verbatim. Credited. Credited, yes, indeed. And I want to, here's a credited story from the other day. Oh yeah. Una goes, um, Una was in the sun the other day. Jenny and Una were in the sun. They got freckles. And um, and Una said to Jenny, she goes, um, it's, like you, it's like you drank freckle juice, except it worked. <laughs> and Jenny was like, that's a great joke. And then a few minutes later, she goes, it's like you drank freckle juice, except it worked. And then Una goes, don't steal my joke. <laughs> and then I said to Una, I, go, I know how you feel. <laughs> I've had people steal jokes from me. Doesn't feel great, and uh, uh, but but yeah, but Jen was we uh, we made the distinction. Una, what what Jen, what mom was doing was a callback. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, um, but yeah. So Jen was a huge part of the process, and of course, your wife is a huge part of your artistic work. Yeah, I mean, I, it was funny when you first started bringing that tip. I thought was the tip that everybody should hire specifically your wife, or everyone uh, should hire my wife. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, I do. Lee Brock, who's my uh, uh, wife and life partner and, and co-artistic director of my theater company, The Barrow Group, and just I do everything with her. Uh, there's nobody I trust more when it comes to getting feedback and everything I'm doing, I'm checking with her and going like, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And I think it's incredible to turn things into a team when you have a great team to work with. It's just like you know, harnessing all that power. It's interesting, like you and I have that in common. Like both Lee and Jenny are artists who Lee works really in an identical field. She directs plays, she acts in plays, etc. Yeah. Um, and Jenny's a poet, and I'm a comedian, which have analogous uh, aspects to them. And but this uh, it oddly harkens to this thing that my professor John Glavin, my screenwriting playwriting professor in college, said. When I went back years later, I went back like 10 years after I graduated from school and I was speaking in his class and he goes, he goes, one thing you should know about Mike is that when he was here, his girlfriend was an actor, his roommate was an actor and a writer, you know, like, and he, he, he basically said like, 
he didn't just do the thing, yeah. he lived the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a weird piece of advice to give people because you don't wanna prescribe to someone, hey, you should live the thing versus <laughs> do the thing. Because in some ways it's unhealthy yeah. to, to really live the thing. But, but I have to say, that being said, anecdotally, yeah. it, a lot of people I know who are really good at it have that have that part of their life. Yeah, totally. I, I, and I, I think of it sometimes as being surrounded by the thing. It's like, you're just like, everywhere you look, there's inspiration. And if you're not in touch with artists that you respect and admire and, and you know, then it gets harder to find the inspiration. And that's to me what it's really what it's all about. It's like you, you, you stay in touch with the thing that inspires you. It's a tricky thing to describe to people because this idea of like surrounding yourself with the thing, because there's a part of you that wants to say like, no, there's a work-life balance and there's this and there's this. And it's like that work-life balance thing, I don't know anybody who has it. <laughs> and if you're hearing any success stories on it, <laughs> let me know. Yeah, right. I'll, I'd, I'd like six tips on work-life balance. Yeah, I, There's this great book on directing, which is Ilya Kazan on directing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I always cite, he has great advice in this. I mean, he's a director, he did streetcar, he did, did countless things. But one of the things he says is take the subway instead of a taxi. So and, you're staying in touch with the world, yeah. basically? Yeah. 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 And, and you're observing. Yeah. And you're observing more of things happening yeah. versus that you're in like a capsule. Yeah. And uh, you're you're separate from the world. Totally. That's one of the things that I notice a lot for directing, especially when people are directing realism, where you know what they're trying to depict on stage or in film is meant to come off as the real thing. A lot of times I watch people and I and and I think, or I watch, I should say, I watch their the scene work or the film work or whatever, and I go, that doesn't look like the real thing to me. Yeah. Um, and I think that if people used as a standard real life when they're doing realism, it, it's not only is it helpful, it's like it's really easy because it's around you all the time. Like yeah. people are just having breakfast, and if you really start to look at it, a lot of times you go like. Well, it looks like movie breakfast, but yeah. uh, you know. That's one of the jokes I wrote recently that I've been doing on stage on, on the working it out stuff is um, my favorite podcast is the subway. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a, it's a great podcast. You, you put in your earbuds and then you don't press play. <laughs> and then you just listen to all the stuff. Because, What's the weirdest thing you ever heard on a subway? Oh my God, I've had so many weird ones. So... One of the ones recently was these girls were like, this one girl goes, you like Spanish men? She goes, you gotta go to LA. They got money, cars, double dick. And I was like, double dick? <laughs> I was like, double dick? I was like, That's a very I'm, well known Spanish well, thing. I guess so. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, oh I felt God. so lucky that I, I haven't been single for all these years. I, I just do not meet the standards of a modern single man. Not gone are the days of having a single dick or even one and a half penises. You need two full penises, not to mention money and cars. I can imagine a scenario where I was, I'm on like one of those dating apps. I'm like, well, I have money, I have cars, a single penis. People are like, swipe, no, whatever that, I don't even know, that. I don't know which way you swipe. Uh, but no, swipe, no, uh, but double dick. That was one that I thought, oh the moment God. I heard it, I was like, I'm writing that down verbatim. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. And then 
the the subway I think is is a is just filled with fascinating conversations. You know, one of the uh, it's not it's not quite as as it's not quite as funny as what you just described, but it was a, such an odd thing in my neighborhood. There's a there's a or very orthodox Jewish community up there, mm-hmm. and the, you know these these women got on the train. They're talking, and they goes, "So, do you want a hat or no hat?" <laughs> and they were referring to a matchmaker working with them and who they matched him up with, somebody who wears a, a yarmulke all the time or doesn't. Oh. And I was like, wow, that is that is life L- Like romantically? To marry. Really? Do you want a hat? A hat or, or no, no hat? hat? And that's not sort of a double entendre for <laughs> <laughs> being circumcised or something like that? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think they meant it that way at all. <laughs> Sounds like you didn't understand the conversation, Seth. <laughs> yeah, I hat or no you. hat? Yeah. Wow. Right? The... um. It's, uh, wait, I was trying to think there was one the other day. Oh my God. Yeah, this was a wild, one of the wild ones recently was on the subway late at night. Yeah. These two women, I'm the only other person there and they start arguing with each other and it gets worse and worse. And then one, <laughs> and then one of them goes, you bitch. And I thought, oh, I felt, I just felt awful because I knew that I wasn't going to help. <laughs> And then the other one goes, you bitch. And I was, I was like, it's not the time to give notes, but lateral, <laughs> lateral move. <laughs> and then the first woman goes, you white bitch. And I'm just like, and I'm out. Uh, you know, oh but then the, the white woman looked at me and gave me this like, like what are we going to do? And I'm just like, oh. it's not we. I'm not of the we, the white we subway federation. And... Uh, I go, I, and in the joke, I go like, I don't, I wouldn't have even done anything if, if she had said it to my own wife. I would have been like, we're leaving this subway car now. You know what I mean? <laughs> and but I get, you know, I gave, I gave her the best advice I could with my eyes. I just project, I just, I telepathically sent the message, don't reply. <laughs> and <laughs> these, this, this episode is is operating like our shows do. <laughs> this right. is the spine. The six tips are the spine, and then we're digressing out and coming back in. It's mostly digression. Support for Working Out comes from Aura Frames. We all love taking photos on our phones, right? But there's so many of them. Hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of photos wasting away in your camera roll. Stop scrolling through so many photos. Start putting them to good use with a unique, stylish digital picture frame from Aura Frames. I got one of them right by my bedside. It's like a slideshow of photos that I really like from my, of my family that sort of scrolls through on this little frame, this little picture frame, I love it. Free unlimited storage, you can add unlimited photos and videos, invite as many people as you want to a frame. There are absolutely no hidden fees or subscriptions, and it's private. You have complete control over who has access to your frame. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code WIO. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com, code W-I-O. Terms and conditions apply. Support for Working It Out comes from Viore. 
Viore is a clothing company that draws inspiration from the coastal California lifestyle. I was thrilled that they were willing to be a sponsor because I could just talk about how soft and comfortable their clothing is all the time. I mean, I'll read the stuff they told me to say. It's uh, It inspires others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it does that. But also, my experience is it's very, very comfortable. Viore offsets 100% of their carbon footprint. And since 2019... They've also offset 100% of their plastic footprint. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off. Ooh, that's good, your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable, versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash burbigs. That's viore.com slash burbigs. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping. What? Free shipping. On any U.S. orders over 75 bucks and free returns. That's viore.com slash burbigs. Discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Number four is practice on six tips. Over the course of two years, I've performed the new one, and this was back in 2018. In 60 cities, in three countries, I'm still making changes. The show will run... Again, this was five years ago. The show will run for 12 weeks at the Court Theater, and I will have my binder backstage with every performance making notes on what could work better. Completely true, by the way. Uh, so I had that binder 100%. to the bitter end. You had a binder with this show, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I am. And I wrote here, the script is a living, breathing item that changes constantly, and the audience has everything to do with it. By the way, an audience can be any number of people. It can be a living room of friends, an open mic at a coffee house, or the or a speech at a bar mitzvah. These are not joke examples. These are memories. Oh yeah. Um, this is um, something I always tell folks is is uh, more than anything, especially young folks who are working on solo monologues and storytelling, is um, just ask friends who usually friends who are, who have similar goals to be a storyteller, be a solo playwright. If they can bounce stuff off of them, yeah, and and just and just hear the feedback. I would say, uh, actually, a lot of times, even once you've developed that relationship, you don't even ask. And you know, there was you'll be talking with me, and I'll kind of go like, "Oh, he's trying out some stuff," and I'll just kind of listen. And, yeah, and, you know, and and to me, it's like, and I'm, it's that's not in any way a burden. It's like, oh, that is delightful. Um, I think it's really fun to be part of a collaborative process just by being an ear, just by listening and and everything. Because um, I was, as you were saying that, I was thinking, I was, I wonder what the fewest number you've performed for oh, is. But what in an official setting, what's literally the fewest? I think at a college or two, I performed for like one or two people. <laughs> I mean, years. years. Wait, wait, you went out. There was one person, and you did a whole set. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think like I've had like a hand, like early on in my career, I had a ton of colleges that really helped me quit my day job. They were booked through NACA which is like the national campus activities uh, events where they book a ton of jugglers and magicians and comedians and musicians. And then you perform, you showcase, and then hopefully you book 10, 20, sometimes 100, 200 colleges in a year over the course of the calendar year. And I I think I want to say like I, I did the, you know, the Midwest regional one and I booked like 30 colleges and you really, what happens is you show up and they've booked so many things and often they just forget to advertise. Yeah. So you show up and it's just, there's no advertising. They go, do you want to do the show or not do the show? And you go, so who is it? And they're like, it's just me. You know, and they go, 
all right, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do something here, you know, and they, whatever. So I've, yeah, I've performed for like two, three people, maybe the activities board, probably maybe four or yeah. five people. Yeah, yeah. I just say like, I, some of the some of the best learning experiences were those shows. Oh, totally. Even writing when we were doing Sleepwalk with me, I remember we went down to Pace University, and you performed. And this was at this point, the show was already like an eighty minute long thing. Yeah. And you performed for I think six people, is yeah. my memory. And that was like we got so much from that. Yeah. You know. Well, it's interesting also because, uh, and, th- and this is something from the new one that we learned, which is um, try to try to perform for. As many different age groups as possible. Oh yeah. Because like at one point I had done the show at Princeton University, and the new one, and it was, and, and people if they haven't seen the new one, it's on Netflix, and you can see at the beginning of the show. I, do, I set up the whole show with this analogy about the couch, you know, and you're when you're younger, you get a couch in the street, and you, you bring it home to your roommates, and they're like nice, and then eventually you reach a point where you're like. I'm a I'm a grown up. I'm gonna buy a couch, and you go to the couch store, and you're like, "How much is it?" You know, <laughs> and that came that whole riff came from one day at Princeton. I'm talking about having a kid. Now I never want to have a kid. Blah blah blah. And I was just like, it just didn't connect. Yeah, they couldn't relate. This is probably 2017. It, I, I could see in their eyes. There there was some laughs, but it just was not there. Like it yeah. was not the magic that I was experiencing performing for people in their 30s and 40s. And I was like, what if I just build it out with an analogy that anyone can understand? Yeah. And so that's a, that's what the couch became. And if, if I hadn't performed for this college uh, group of college students, I wouldn't have discovered that. You know, it's so funny, the, the couch thing is like, I never would have occurred to me that that's a, an apt analogy. And yet, the second, whenever you describe it, I always think of like, oh, I remember completely the couch that we got and the place we live <laughs> that we got it. And as it turns out, it was this big couch that was filled with fleas. And oh, wow. we didn't know it. And we started just getting, you know, it was terrible. Oh, so we, we had to flea bomb the place. Flea bomb. The whole house. Wow. And then it was still filled with fleas. Oh my gosh. And we flea bombed it again. And number five, <laughs> rewrite. When I studied dramatic writing in college, my professor, John Glavin, printed out the screenplay for American Beauty. This was in the 90s. And he told me, notice it says draft 12. And I remember thinking, because it was so shocking to me, that must be an anomaly. Yeah. That it, And it isn't. Everything I produced on stage and screen went through 10 or 20 drafts. Believe it or not, you're currently reading the 12th draft of, of this list. <laughs> <laughs> Rewriting to me is a badge of honor. For a year, the final story in the new one took place with my wife and daughter on a beach. Yeah. And one day, our collaborator, Ira Glass, said to me, I don't think it should end there. I think it should end somewhere else. And it did. I won't say where. I had already toured 30 cities with artwork of myself on a beach. I had made a promotional video with seals in it in La Jolla on a beach. And now the beach story is gone. And this is something you and I have talked about a lot because you worked with a lot of different playwrights over the years. And I feel like you've had the experience where some playwrights are more flexible on where they'll go with their script once once they think it's done and where they're sometimes uh, they're open to changing. Yeah, Yeah. I actually, it's an interesting dance because there's, uh, I actually feel like flexibility and openness is essential to great art, I I, I think. I mean, I suppose I shouldn't say essential. It's possible that there's some great art that didn't come out that way, but I think that's the way it usually goes down. That that said, there's also something where, where 
as the piece starts to develop and and for you as an artist where you identify something that feels like it's central like it's the center and if you get too far away from the center it can get kind of problematic so it's not about compromising or letting everybody else you know whatever they say i'm going to do that but that said it, if if you attach too much to what you've you know written along the way you don't have a shot to see what it could improve into and um I watch so many people who get overattached uh, and underattached. So there's the, yeah. you know, some people like, you know, this, their friend goes, my friend didn't like the second half, so I'm getting rid of it. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're getting rid of the entire second half of yeah. your thing? I say, yeah, he didn't like it. I go, next day, the, another friend comes and goes, what happened in the second half? I yeah. like it. And he goes, the second half's back. Yeah. You know, like, um, and so there's that. The flip side of it is, you know, this sense that they're so attached to what they've written that they won't, consider changing anything and and it's it's to me it's just sad yeah i don't think i've ever seen a writer who's that attached really fulfill their potential i don't think i think so much of it's about and 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 you and i have taught some workshops and things on this topic before and i feel like one of the hardest things to convey because i feel like young storytellers can only learn this themselves through the process is that there's a difference between um getting feedback like you're saying and <laughs> completely you know changing what your vision is yeah. and the idea of coming in with a vision hearing from people through feedback whether or not the vision you have in your mind is being conveyed in their experience of it yeah. and then trying to understand how you could get closer to conveying the vision you have in your head yeah this is like a great piece of advice Jake Johansson gave me when I was opening for him when I was in college, when I was 20 years old, I said, ah, this one joke doesn't really work. And it was, and it wasn't was a great joke, but but it was just about how like I would hate to be a fly because everyone's always like, get out of here. And you're like, where do you want me to go? You don't want, it doesn't seem like you want me anywhere. You know, I become this emotional fly. Yeah. And uh, I go, Jake, I think this is funny, but like it doesn't get a laugh. And he goes, Well, he's like, Well, maybe you're not expressing the vision that's in your head. Maybe you're not sort of bringing them into what you, what actually you think is deeply funny about it. He goes, he goes, for example, like you could say like, you know, like, you don't even want me on the shit. Do you want the shit? You know, and he kind of pitched back to me a version of it that was like slightly more specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was my vision. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. what the joke was. Yeah, yeah. And he's just basically saying like, they're not, sometimes they're not seeing the vision you have in your head. Yeah. And your job as a comedian or, or, or autobiographical storyteller is to convey what you're seeing in your head. Absolutely. And whenever I hear people go like, I, I didn't like blank, fill in the blank on, if it's something that I'm part of working on, I'm always saying like, what did you get from that? And yes. that tells me where the miscommunication is. You know, I go like, oh. They're getting that. What what could be changed changed so that they get what's intended? It's super. This is a super key point, and and I know that Seth has this very understated delivery, and so you might be like passing through this and not even paying attention. But actually, herein lies the gold. Uh, is this tip number? No, is this we're still tip? on five. Okay. We're still on five. But I do think like I think what you're saying is really really crucial because I think a lot of times there's this sense in culture which is like. A, Hold on to your vision, yeah. and you should. Yeah, but we, we, you know, it's like the old expression: the eye can't see itself. Yeah, and often you cannot see whether or not the vision you have yeah. is being understood the way you're intending it. That's right. 
It's, I would argue, it's impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally, I totally, that's the same thing like that we've talked about before when you talk about how, you know, you'll uh, write a joke and then it's really the audience that tells you if yes. it's funny. That's you a might famous, think this is the funniest joke in the, the world. Audience, it's a famous Seinfeld line. The audience tells you what's funny about you. Yeah. Number six, brace yourself for criticism. Revealing yourself can be lonesome. When an audience doesn't respond, it feels like they're saying, not only do we not like your show, we don't like you as a person. And sometimes they are saying that. So don't hang out with those people. Sometimes those people are in your family and you have to hang out with them. It would take a whole other set of tips to deal with that. The point is, you're taking a risk for a reason. You're doing it for the people who might feel better about something in their lives because of something you're willing to admit about yours. So if you're interested in having a solo play on Broadway, that's where I'd start. And after all that, if you're lucky, your 10,000 hours will perform a perfect collision with 12 other people's 10,000 hours and the theater will open up because the play network decided to move from the court to the Belasco and the stars will align on that day. You'll have a Broadway show and you'll walk up to the theater for the first day of rehearsal and a young, beautiful couple will walk by and look up at the marquee and they'll say, who is Mike Birbiglia? That's the end of the piece. <laughs> Hey friends, this is a little shout out to my cats, Precious and Mr. Mustache. <laughs> this ad is, is for them. Those are my two cats. I love my pets. I know you love your pets too. And today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. They offer customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you and me to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash WIO for working it out. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash WIO. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash WIO. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. Working It Out is supported by Squarespace. Squarespace is an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can upload video content, organize your video library, and showcase your content. On beautiful video pages, you can even access your video library by adding a paywall to your content. My God, Squarespace is keeping up with the times. They're the forerunners of the industry. They're way ahead of us and right with us. I made up that slogan. I should point out that this is an ad for Squarespace, but I love Squarespace. Our website for Thank God for Jokes was Squarespace. Our website for Stand Up and Vote was Squarespace. Couldn't recommend it more highly. We use it all the time. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, head to squarespace.com slash burbigs, B-I-R-B-I-G-S, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash burbigs to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. 
How do you feel about going to the West End? I'm actually genuinely excited about that. What, what is the most exciting thing? Well, first of all, I've never been. I mean, I've been as a as a customer. Yeah, I've, I've never Same. never worked over there um, in this capacity at all, and that's really exciting because it's one of those things you think about. You know, like I, I don't know. I grew up, you know, thinking that I think in England that's where the real stuff is. And, mm-hmm. and then when I was in college and I went over there for the first time, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing this theater and. And I'd see, and the theaters have that, that, uh, you know, they just have this really rich history and all this stuff. And then, you know, we're going to be in one of them. It's crazy. After we're at the Wyndham's, it's, I think it's King Lear directed by Kenneth Branagh. And then after that in the season is Long Day's Journey into Night with Brian Cox and Patricia Clarkson. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, we're 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 in the big leagues here. We got to bring it. Yeah, it is. It's in it's in a certain way. It feels like the biggest league. It's it's the like it's, the it's really cool. So the final thing we do on the show is called working it out for a cause. And you were on before. We gave to a to an organization. But I thought today I was just going to overrule you and <laughs> have us uh, contribute to your theater company because it's a nonprofit theater company called the Barrow Group. Yeah. You're the co artistic director with your wife Lee Brock. And for my money, I think that you put on, if, if not the best plays, some of the best plays in New York City, in a in a small off Broadway theater, and you yeah. and have classes and amazing acting classes and solo show workshops and solo show classes and all this stuff. And so I think uh, barrowgroup.org, I think, is your site. That is the site. That's very sweet of you. I, I, I uh, yeah, I, I believe so much in what we do, and uh, I welcome anybody to check out. The website barrowgroup.org and um, and come around. I mean, it's really cool. Your your, your fancier alumni include uh, people like Anne Hathaway and Tony Hale and uh, really a lot of people. Yeah, Pune Jagannathan, Sarita Chowdhury, uh, so many. You have an amazing track record. Yeah, we've we've uh, our you know alumni without any exaggeration is in the tens of thousands. It's wow. been great. All right, well, we're gonna contribute to the Bear Group. We encourage you to do so as well. And also just check out their site and see if maybe there's a good class for you if you're around New York City um, or check out their next show. Um, Thanks, Seth. I'll see you uh, you in London. Uh, uh, Did you say Monday? I'll see you in London. Oh, in London, okay. And Monday. (laughs) Perfect. I'll see you Monday as well as in London. Ole. I was trying to think earlier, maybe there'd be like a chant like, Ole, 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 old man and the pool. Ole. Nice. Is that a British thing? Or is I, it just European soccer? It's soccer, I think. But but I, I the notion of a soccer stadium chanting yeah, that Yeah, we got to get that going. Totally. Well, that's a good marketing initiative. <laughs> <laughs> working it out because it's not done. Working it out because there's no that's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out. I love that Seth Barish. I'm so excited to be working with him on The Old Man in the Pool in Edinburgh and in London at the Wyndham's. Oh, man. You got to go on my Instagram and see the video I just posted where I, I have a photo of the Wyndham's. It's like one of the most gorgeous theaters in the world. It's unbelievable. I can't believe it. Um, another thing that I should point out is that I just announced a show in Sag Harbor this summer, which is in Long Island. Uh, Levittown, a uh, little club show in Levittown, working out new material. I'm also working out ma- new material uh, at a club in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Um, all of those on burbigs.com. Best way to find out is on the mailing list. Sign up. Our producers of Working It Out are myself along with 
Joseph Berbiglia and Peter Salomon, associate producer Mabel Lewis, consulting producer Seth Barish, assistant producers Gary Simons and Lucy Jones. Sound mixed by Ben Cruz, supervising engineer Kate Belinsky. Special thanks to Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall and David Raphael and Nina Quick, my consigliere's Mike Berkowitz. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. Special thanks to Jay Hopestein, uh, my wife, the poet, little astronaut, is in bookstores now. And actually, check her Instagram, at Jay Hopestein. She has another little book that she just dropped that's really excellent as well. Special thanks, as always, to my daughter, Una, who built the original radio fort made of pillows. And thanks most of all to you who are listening. If you enjoy our show, enjoy Review it on Apple Podcasts. Put a few a little stars there, a little stars review, a little thing that says which of the episodes is your favorite. We're coming up on our 100th. Next week is our 100th episode. We're thrilled about it. Thanks most of all to you who are listening. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. I imagine a scenario where you're on the subway and somebody says something rude to you and and you can say, I'm sorry, I'm listening to my favorite podcast, which is the subway. And they'll be so confused. And you'll say, it's a joke. I heard it on Mike Birbiglia's Working Out. You should try it sometime. <laughs> I'll see you next time, everybody.